Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about Ghosts of Saltmarsh, the new book announced by Wizards of the Coast, as well as the Artificer class. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another wonderful Saturday morning. Can't yeah. wait to tell you about all the news. Happy to have you here watching us live. Uh, fantastic to see everyone. Um, we got some people in... YouTube chat, we got some people in Twitch chat, uh, we probably have some people in space chat, and they're currently yeah. chatting Aliens. in space. Um, yeah. I was thinking, like, yeah, never mind. I, I had to focus this morning, because I was like, I messed up the intro last week, I need to, like, I need to rehearse. So I before we went live, I rehearsed, like, three times and finally got the intro right, which is, it just, which is good. <laughs> um lots of D news this week uh last week we were kind of like sitting on never sitting on our hands being like well they'll announce something at some point and then they just kind of announced everything it feels like and oh and by the way here's the uh artificer unearthed arcana that you were waiting for and here's all the all this stuff just came at the end of the month um february 28th it is now march 2nd um but what's <laughs> what's going on in the world of D? let me open my notes wow. So much. So it was funny because we got done with our show last week and we were expecting an announcement by then. We thought we'd have the article probably within that that week. But then we were like, well, maybe we'll get it later this week. And it was like probably within hours, you sent me a tweet after our show that was, hey, look, look what leaked on Amazon. So I ran over, looked at Amazon and there it was. Ghosts of Saltmarsh has been announced. And I think you nailed it. I think if you go back several shows, you talked about how you were kind of calling this idea that it might be another um, Tales from the Yawning Portal style book. It might be a grouping of four or five or six different adventures together that maybe can work together, but also can maybe be dropped into your campaign just one one at a time or willy-nilly as you wish. And I think that's what we're getting. We're getting a very much a Tales from the Yawning Portal kind of style book. But it's interesting. This one's interesting because it's a started out as a Greyhawk. Yeah, uh, adventure set, and they haven't shied away from that. They said it, you know, it's in well, the they have. I mean, they bit. they've said that it's Greyhawk originally, but like uh, an interview with Kate Welch, she was saying on the YouTube D and D YouTube channel that like uh, this is going to be as system neutral as possible. Like they want yeah. you to be able to take it and and plop it into your own homebrew adventure, so Salt Marsh can exist anywhere, even though it was originally a Greyhawk adventure. Yeah, uh, yeah, or a series. Yeah, I feel of like Greyhawk they went adventures. to great lengths to make sure that it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they they really want you to know you can use this in your Forgotten Realms campaign. We're not abandoning mm-hmm. a Forgotten Realms, but but it was the same. Like, but I didn't feel that with Tales of the Awning Portal. You know, they weren't just right. like, by the way, Tomb of Horrors doesn't exist in Forgotten Realms, but it can in your. Like, they didn't have the same emphasis on that, and maybe. Maybe because all of these adventures come from the same world, they were very much like, we have to reiterate this. Whereas uh, the adventures of the uh, Tales of the Awning Portal were all over the place. Like Dead and Thay was set in Forgotten Realms, but other ones were set in other other campaign settings. So, mm-hmm. so I thought, yeah, and I think um, I'm happy because I love a Greyhawk campaign world i was hoping that at some point down the line we might get a Greyhawk campaign book but i've also started to lean towards more of like what we've talked about in the last few weeks you brought it up quite a few times this idea of do we really need an aberon campaign book do we really need a dark sun or a spell jammer we have them we yeah. can use those we can just still use the rules that we have all of the fluff and all of the the history and all of that stuff can still be pretty similar you don't need new no. books for that piece. And it was you know, Sly so Flourish like, that said that in one of his videos, and I really latched onto it where I hadn't really yeah. thought about it because we want new stuff and we want, like, I want ship mechanics for Spelljammer. Mm-hmm. Like, I want all of these monsters for Spelljammer. I want Spelljammer left and right. When he was like, if you're an, an experienced enough DM, you can 
use the AD&D Spelljammer stuff and change it on the fly. Like, you could literally look at a second edition monster and be like, ah, it feels like it should be like this. And since the CR system is so fluid anyway in 5th edition, it kind of works. That being said, a lot of people were like, well, what about new DMs? They they, They can't do that. And I'm like, but if you're a new DM, you're probably playing in the Forgotten Realms because you're not bored of it yet. To yeah. to want to branch out to being D and D in space, you yeah. know, or homebrewing because you just had this exactly. Because that's yeah. what a new DM might just try to tackle. <laughs> I'm going to tackle yeah. Lost Minds of Fandelver. You know, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm I'm aiming at. Or yeah, yeah. so, and yeah, I, I really agree. agree with that. I think I think uh, Sly Flourish really, I think he's right. You know, like yeah. we don't necessarily need all of this, although it's fun. Um, right. And, yeah. and that was the point I was gonna make too, is like, although if they do release one, I'll be just as happy. I'll mm-hmm. buy it and I'll get into it. So I'll be super cool if they did, but I realized I don't need it as bad as I thought I needed it. Like I want it. I would love it, but I don't necessarily need it. I can yeah. make it work without it. Um, so that was really cool. So yeah, we're getting ghosts of, Sal- uh, ghosts of salt marsh, very nautical themed. Um, we're getting some new rule sets that help us deal with nautical themed yeah. stuff. And there's uh, a lot of underwater combat, I feel, that's going to take place mm-hmm. in these adventures. And I know there's rules for underwater combat in the Dungeon Master's Guide, but I wonder if they're going to expand upon that too. Because they said that they're, they've got new rules for ships and they've got new rules for all this other stuff. But I wonder if we're going to get necessarily new rules or maybe new weapons that work better underwater so you don't have disadvantage with your hammer. <laughs> Things mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just picturing, a, like, yeah, a full, like a... a a fighter in full plate armor just diving in with a hammer and he just sinks yeah. like a rock. It's like, well, you died. Good job. Or I'm looking <laughs> at stuff like um, the water breathing spell or something that gives you free action or mm-hmm. free movement kind of spells that try to make it so that you're you're getting away from some of the negatives of being underwater. Because the reality of trying to fight anything underwater, I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's good it's in fantasy because you couldn't do it. It's not like yeah. you can wrestle an alligator at the bottom of a, of a, a lake. And I had out. an underwater combat in my homebrew game a long time ago. And I'm realizing now that I did it wrong because when this book came out, I started reading up on the DMG's rules of underwater combat. And you have disadvantage using just about every weapon except very certain ones like a trident you don't have disadvantage on you know yeah. pointing pointy spear like yeah, weapons yeah. Yeah, yeah but like a hammer or a sword or things like that uh, i think a dagger you're fine um but it, it's interesting you really limit your players and certain spells like you have to be able to mouth those words underwater you know mm-hmm. and so it'll be interesting now i'm not saying that i it's funny because this book is one of the books that maybe i wasn't thinking i needed like i haven't been having this hankering for running a sea adventure Mm -hmm. or a piratey kind of adventure and i haven't really stumbled across in my mind like this idea that oh you know what i want to send my players to an underwater city not that i'm sure there are thousands and thousands of people that have had that idea in their mind they've just been waiting for this book to say now i can finally do it or give them that you know just enough of a nudge to say that's it. I'm going to do it. I'm sending my players to Atlantis or I'm sending my players to the, the underwater city of the Sahugan or whatever, you know? Right. And uh, so it's interesting. I'm wondering. Um, so just a couple of actual real facts. So we should see the book on May 21st everywhere. Um, I did see in one of the interviews they were doing with um, Jeremy Crawford, they talked about, they wanted to align all the release dates Instead of it being there's a couple of days and the brick and mortars get it, then there's another couple of days and you can get it from one online source and then Amazon gets it and ships it out like on a different date. Apparently, we're all just moving right to May 21st, available everywhere in every format, in every way possible. Yeah. D&D Beyond, uh, you know, your, your basically stores. online stores versus your brick and yeah. mortar stores is because right. before they were kind of... Uh, basically helping um, the brick and mortar stores, your friendly local game store by releasing it early. And they're, this time they're not going to do that. And I wonder if they just acknowledge like, you know, 90% of our sales come from Amazon or something. I'm not sure. Um, and yeah. that could just be because Amazon's cheaper than the $50 MSRP in the store. So yeah. it's kind of different. They stick yeah. to that in the store. When I go pick up all those yeah. books I bought on the shelf, they were all forty nine ninety nine times tax. <laughs> yeah. Amazon's just cheaper. And that's really what it comes down to. So, yeah. so May 21st, mark that on your calendars for when that comes up. We know we're going to have a big streaming event before that to 
launch the whole thing. It should be bigger and better than the stream of many eyes. So that should be very interesting. The other thing to keep in mind is if you really want to get something uh, interesting, Beetle and Grimm's is also going to release their Sinister Silver Edition, which is this idea of having a quality um, experience box set kind of thing with this release and the regular Dungeons and Dragons. They did another Beetles and Grimm's earlier. For I think it was like Dragon Heist. Yeah, like 199 bucks. No, area. it was like 500 I think. Yeah, well, this one I think is one ninety nine was the price I saw. One seventy five. One seventy five, yeah, for this yeah, silver yeah. edition, yeah. Yeah, but it's supposed to put in premium stuff, premium stuff that you can hold in your hands, not just like here's some extra PDFs or here's an extra printed whatever. It's like letters and maps and um, encounter cards that you can use at your table, a new GM screen or DM screen, um, booklets for each of those um, adventures, so you can have them separate and you don't have to have the big whole book out at the same time. So all these cool things for a, a, a Tharsden pin. Yeah. Uh, Tharsden, the Mad God, is a bit of D and D lore that I really, really enjoy. And I haven't read these adventures, like the because these are older adventures that they're releasing for Ghosts of Saltmarsh. But um, apparently Tharsden comes into play because they're releasing like a cult of Tharsden pin and some other things. And I'm just like, oh, now I'm even more excited for Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Um, <laughs> it's going to be lots of fun. But it looks like a really cool set. And they said, you know, if you've got five players, everybody chips in $35, all of a sudden you're able to afford this uh, hundred and, or almost $200 thing. And I was like, well, that that makes sense. And if you have the right group of people and you know you're going to run it, like I don't I I and I'm almost tempted to be like to my players like do you guys want to do this because we get all these cool handouts it just kind of makes it a more fun experience D&D as we play it is not expensive you know like like it's expensive for the dungeon master because he buys a little more books he might buy more miniatures for monsters and things like that but like really like you need a player's handbook and you need to print out some sheets and you need a pencil and some dice and maybe one miniature like like it's not that expensive of a hobby for the player side. So yeah. having your players say, do you want to chip in $35 for this really cool experience? I think is completely understandable. So, yeah. And I think it's okay to have like what you said that you can get the free rules and play Dungeons and Dragons. You don't need anything, yeah. but just the free online set. So it can really be the price that you want it to be. It could be, well, I want to own a couple of hardcover books. So that's the price of, you know, a hundred bucks for me. And then there's those that want to play with miniatures. So maybe there's, you know, another couple hundred bucks. It's, it's worth it to them. But these premium sets, I think, are set for like those collector's editions. Yeah. People that want something a little more tangible or something a little extra. And, you know, they've got the disposable income to go ahead and, and put it into their hobby and buy something like that. So you kind of have really every level possible to get into the um, the hobby, which is nice. So from free PDFs to um, cheap PDFs to hardcovers to special edition stuff. So. You know, there's there and I, I've been wanting to make a video about this, but I haven't really like crafted it. But I keep wondering if there's a way to play Dungeons and Dragons completely free. Because yeah. you have the well, you have the base rules, you know, the for free. Mm-hmm. The basic rules are free. And then there's so much homebrew content out there that people are like putting out custom classes and custom this that I'm like, I wonder if you could just take all of that stuff, this like homebrew, you know, collective, plus the free basic rules, and somehow play free D D. Like completely I was going to say off the grid, but that doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> completely like, like uh, away from traditional Dungeons and Dragons and come up with not your own rule set because you're borrowing from everything and you're not using the Not off the, the grid, rules, off my but... credit card. Bill yeah, statement. off the That's credit what... card. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's exciting. So it's going to have like, what was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven adventures. adventures. Not mm-hmm. all of them were Greyhawk. They were the U version of adventures, which I, I hadn't known was done by their UK um, studio back in the day. So these were oh, these, old, okay. you know, um, England versions of these. And then there were, they took some from Dragon Magazine. They took some um, from other sources. So there's a few that come from other sources, but they all were close enough to being the same kind of theme that they could latch them all together. If you're going to be playing this and you're looking to play it, um, it looks like it's going to be a adventure that would take your characters from one to 12. Um, I'm not sure how long it would take. I don't know how long each one of these adventures are. If we go on like the previous stuff that they've released, I mean, Storm King's Thunder, to me, if you play it all the way through, 
feels like almost a year and a half, two year campaign. Tomb of Annihilation can be almost about a year, maybe maybe a year and a half full on campaign. Dragon Heist, that's probably a couple of month campaign. That one's definitely a much shorter one. But if you then immediately take them to Dungeon and Mad Mage, that feels like it's a two or three year campaign. Yeah. Because if you're going to go to level 20, you're not getting there very quick. So that's a big long campaign. I'm wondering if this one, where it resides in those different campaign lengths. But it feels like if it's seven of them, I don't know. I feel like if you're playing them all together and you're going to play them one to 12, just like the book presents it, then it's probably going to be about a yearish campaign, would be my guess, maybe a little more. Um, so well, I'm trying to think of, of uh, like, Tales of the Awning Portal. Some of those were really long and some of them were really short. Like, uh, I think between going from the one before White Plume Mountain, or basically playing in White Plume Mountain, you were supposed to gain maybe two levels. And that one we finished in like three or four sessions. Three sessions, I think, is when we played White Plume so Mountain. Month. But uh, like a month, to, but a month to gain two levels when you're like level seven or eight going from seven to nine. Uh, so it all depends. Like, I don't know. I, I actually looked up the secret of salt marsh, the original one. And I think the original, or like back in the day, it was like eight pages long, nine pages long. So not really long, but the sinister secret of salt marsh danger at Dunwater and the final enemy are all lumped into one kind of adventure. Like they, they feed on mm-hmm. each other. They were, they were sequential. So I don't know. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna throw it out there and say that it was like it's gonna be eight to nine months to play all of these because they're they're uh, older adventures that you were kind of meant to like sit down and play in three or four sessions with your your party as opposed to these epic longer things that Wizards of the Coast is putting out now that just take time. You know, depending on yeah. how much role play your party does, it just takes time. Yeah. I, yep. I could see that. So I mean, we have right now on our show the full-on historian of the Forgotten Realms world, right? So we have the, the leading expert oh, on YouTube no, please do Forgotten not. Realms. Um, so to really throw him under the bus and on the spot, Jordan, where are some of those areas that those of us that are playing in Forgotten Realms could put this adventure? Oh, okay. They're saying the Azure Sea, but where on Forgotten Realms are some cool areas that this might fit and be a night? Where could Salt Marsh go? Um, well, my, my ideal thing would be the, the Sea of Fallen Stars, which is in the center of Forgotten Realms, uh, center of Faerun, kind of that area. Um, and that's like a previously unexplored area, but there's all kinds of, uh, and that's more of like a giant lake, I guess. Well, no, it's a sea. It's a sea. It's, it's large. A sea. Yeah, it's an inner yeah, sea. It's an inner sea. Um, but ideally anything along the sword coast will work, but like we've played in the sword coast so much that you should throw it somewhere else. And I say should, like you can do whatever you want, but like if I were to, I would throw it over there somewhere on the sea of fallen stars. And then there's other areas they can do. They can visit around there. Um, I don't remember all of the names of the cities and towns that live around the sea of, uh, sea of fallen stars, but they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, Anywhere where there's water, you could even, like, along the coast of Zakara or something, <laughs> like, way out of the way. Or on the other side of uh, Karator, um, where they're other side of the ocean on that side. But see if all the stars. Felix in the back. We just saw Felix sighting behind Oh, my you. God. Felix sighting. <laughs> 10 o'clock. My <laughs> idea was, how about this one, Jordan? This is a good one. Because mm-hmm. when I heard this salt marsh, I kept thinking... Why does this name sound familiar to me? Like when they said it, it just sounded so re- it resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And that's because with the very first adventure I ever ran with Jordan, who agreed to come play in a game of mine, I put it in a fictional town called Salt Break on the Velen. Oh yeah, or the Velen Coast, V E L E N, which is yeah, yeah. kind of south of the Sword Coast area. And I thought, oh my god, this is perfect. You could put this right here because it's in between where Cholt was, Mm -hmm. in between where Sword Coast was, and there's a lot of craziness that could happen right there in that middle area, and you could pull from the different stuff that was going on. So for me, I think if I were to run it, I would just make Salt Marsh, Salt Break, the town, which I created for my adventure that we played Mm -hmm. in, which was super fun, and then run it from there. You could do the Sinister Secret of Salt Break, Danger at Dunwater, and all kind of cool stuff. So that was pretty cool. No, but and I, that's there's definitely a lot of places you can play. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, and that's like Om is right there, and Valine is underneath. I just had to Google it because I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, that would be a good place. But there's like a nice little cove area that you could basically yeah. jump back and forth with. There's lots of like 
probably piracy on the side. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, lots of cool. Kind of, we so, got to read the adventures because depending, like, if there's lots of piracy, like Luskin would be a good place for this. If there's mm-hmm. lots of uh, weird sea creatures, then the Sea of Fallen Stars or just uh, uh, north of Cholt would be really cool. It reminds yeah. me, like, you were saying that I was on the mark earlier about saying that this was going to be a Tales of the Yawning Portal type book. But mm-hmm. I also remember thinking, like, I think they're going to set it in Lantan, where yeah. we're going to get the where the artificer kind of comes from in the Forgotten Realms. And I, I don't know. So, do you think transitioning into our next topic of conversation? But yeah. uh, do you think the artificer is going to be in this book, or is it just going to no. be? No, you don't. Okay. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. They're, well, I mean, they're putting it out for testing. Um, like if they're putting I out for testing now, finalizing it by you yeah. know early May to get it printed and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but I almost feel like they've already got that salt marsh printed, and they're it's warehoused or getting warehoused or getting ready to be shipped type thing, and they're already working on the next product. I almost feel like because oh, okay. we're in we're in March, so you really only have April and then May. I mean, I guess they could jam it in, um, but that means not very many changes, or maybe it's and this feels like a. A UA article. So what we're talking about is the Unearthed Arcana finally came out. The yeah. Artificer class was released so that you could do testing um, on this brand new class. And it feels like one that needs some time to sit out there and get tested because it's a lot of new stuff. It's not like the other Artificer they released before. And it has some different rules and some different mechanics to it, in fact. Because the other one um, had like a gun, I think, like a cannon. And this one basically kind of has weird pets. Like you have yeah. a homoculus or homoculi or, or you a have turret. A, a turret. Yeah. 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 So some weird, some different way, different routes to go with it. So the article itself, which you can find out on their Unearth Arcana website, um, a couple of things that I thought I wanted to bring up. Number one is they finally backed off this idea that they're always going to put out the Unearth Arcana at the same time. They've now moved back to the we'll put it out when it's done and it's ready kind of yeah. thing. So we're not going to have we're not going to know a regular schedule when we get them. We just have to wait for them to tell us when they're coming. So sometimes that's bad for us because we like we as I think as the customers and the clients like to know a schedule of when things are going to happen so we can anticipate it. It's there. It's ready and it's good. But from you know a developer standpoint or a, a creator they need the lead way to be able to push something if it's not ready or something's not going the way they want it to, or they're still working on it type thing. So there's this middle ground that we're always trying to get those things because we want it now and they want it to only be out there when it's ready. The other thing um, they were talking about D and D beyond. Usually you can get um, all of this test information on D and D beyond. So you can create characters over there and you can try stuff out, which kind of helps with the testing phase, because if you want to make like, what does an eighth level artificer look like? Or what does yeah. a 20th level artificer look like? We use those type of tools to try to roll them up. Well, they said because of the new mechanics, D&D Beyond has to take some time. So it's not quite ready for that yet. So there we're having a little bit of delay than normal because of the new mechanics they added in. And it's an interesting class because it's kind of a modified spellcaster class um, with, like you said, almost pets as part of the two they call specializations that they're releasing at this point. I don't know if there'll be a third one that they release like we have with a lot of the other classes we had yeah. in the player's handbook, but there's two of them called, one's called the alchemist, one's called the artillerist, and they both read very different. It feels like if you're playing one or the other, you're a very different artificer than the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also mention a lot of stuff like, how your magic looks when you cast it. They spent a lot of time about talking about the thematic theme of you're not casting spells like sorcerers or wizards. It's more like the tools you use or the objects you interact with are doing the effect. So think about that when you're playing one of these artificers, that that's how your stuff is working. Like lay on hands, or not lay on hands, but cure wounds is not me touching you casting cure wounds but instead i pop open a cork and dump like a potion on your body and your skin absorbs it and that's what heals you or something or it's like a solver yeah and it was really interesting that your arcane focus is a tool set Mm -hmm. and you cast your spells based off of one of the tool sets so like the thieves tools or one of the artisan tools those are the things you're using to make the effects of this modified spell list um, I really wanted also, a dwarf artificer with like mason's tools or something. <laughs> yeah, 
because that's exactly what it would yeah. be like. Yeah, perfect. And they were saying um, there's a blurb in there about, and I'm just kind of going through the highlights of what I saw. Um, there's a blurb in there about gun gun stuff. And if you want to allow the artificer to use gun and they have proficiency in them, the DMG has the rules for guns to go look up. They talked about um, the spell list. Looks like a normal spell list that you would see. It's got a lot of mix of stuff that comes from a little bit of cleric, a little bit of wizard, a little bit of bard. There's like a, it's like they picked and choosed a lot of different ones. And then there was one new spell that they put in there that you can test out. Um, Arcane weapon, I think is what it was. Mm -hmm. And then there's a list of how they can create objects and what types of objects they create and these different things. So it's definitely a pretty different class than we've had from any of the other player handbook classes so far. Um, it's definitely a departure. It's like a, it feels like a full on new mechanics type class. And I don't know. I, I seen some people that were already theory crafting some of it. Somebody had one that was like a, an eighth level artificer with heavy armor proficiency, a shield and something else that they did that somehow they got their AC up to 24 Oh, and wow. then they were able to cast shield and <laughs> that without boost it by another five. So you're up into the, into the 29 AC 29 part at, at level eight. So it's like, all right, we'll see how this goes. So there's definitely some people power gaming the numbers yeah. and seeing where it's going to be at. I think it'd be interesting. I hope I get an opportunity to play test it at some point. I think it's a fun class from the way I'm reading it. I think I'm leaning towards the artillerist at the moment that I want to try out versus the alchemist but the alchemist has some interesting stuff to it too i'm definitely leaning towards the alchemist like i that one seemed way cool to me but (laughs) all right we need to find a a dungeon master let's play like the um the alchemist brothers and then you can be an alchemist (laughs) and i can be artillery the artificer brothers yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, the artificer brothers yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're han and han and spawn we're the brothers of the artificers yeah 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 uh We're no it was brothers, interesting like we'll just be called the grims yeah the grims <laughs> i really liked i i liked the class i think it looks fun and interesting and it feels yeah. different but which i think is probably a struggle that wizards of the ghost has right now is how do you make it feel different from other classes like this easily could have been well it's it's a little it's a little bit of bard it's a little bit of this nah. and so we haven't had a pet class yet so going into like making pets um was a definitely a direction to do that but it was interesting with Reddit because this came out and I instantly went to Reddit and I wanted to see what people were talking about. And a lot of people did not like it. I think they had, uh, they had strong opinions about what an artificer should be. Mm -hmm. And one of the criticisms that I saw over and over again was that, you know, the artificer is supposed to be complex and have a lot of like fine tuning and meticulous things to it. And the fifth edition rule set just doesn't lend itself to that. So they were mm-hmm. saying that the Artificer in 5th edition just won't ever feel like it did in 3rd edition or maybe in Pathfinder. There probably was an Artificer in Pathfinder, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, or or So yeah, and I was like, well, you're right. Like 5th edition is supposed to be more open to new players. and But I don't know. So thoughts on that, I guess. Like, like, like is 5th edition just easy mode and does the Artificer not fit into this? Yeah, yeah. So I definitely think it's it's mechanically different than the other classes. So they're going to run into something that's very different than their other classes. So the expectations are going to be weird to get met. And I know that some people really like the other artificer that they put out, yeah. the rules that you could play with them, and they enjoyed how that worked. But now you get a very different looking one than that was. Um and I could see where this artificer doesn't meet the needs of what other people want the artificer to be, right? So yeah. I could see this one missing the mark for some people's idea, their preconceived idea of what they think the artificer is. So is that good or bad? I don't know. Um, I'm usually of the let's let's play it out. Let's try to get it on the table. Let's roll some dice with it before crushing it or saying, you know, I don't like it. Even with the ranger... And all the, you know, all the people that don't like the, the Ranger, I didn't want to ever listen to that until I actually played one, went through it, kind of struggled with whatever rules that seemed to be struggling, then kind of make that opinion of my own, where I feel like, yeah, I could probably use a little boost here or there. But I always feel like the outcry is a little more than is actually needed. Yes, there's probably some problems, or yes, there's probably something about it that maybe you don't like, or you would like changed, but it always seems like the outcry is a little bit overboard versus what the actual issues are. 
Um, and Reddit, boy, Reddit can be an interesting place. Because <laughs> sometimes it can jump on the, you know, everybody can be super happy and you get a lot of support. And then other times it turns into just like the, you know, the bashing train of we just hate it and it's dead. It should die and it should burn with fire. <laughs> and <laughs> arguably like, the people that are making the most noise are the ones that don't like it. And that's not generally like, that's not a reflection of the whole, you know, that is yeah. a reflection of the people that are making the most noise. But I did, I just thought it was interesting because like I played fourth edition, but I never played 3.5. So I don't know how like meticulous 3.5 was. Um, I just don't have that exposure to it. Crunchy. Um, yeah. But like a lot of people like that. And, and I think yeah. they wanted, they wanted a class that reflected that. And it's just not going to reflect that because fifth edition is a yeah. different, it's a very different show mechanically. So yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the things that maybe computer game MMOs do a lot. The ones that are the most popular, the ones that have stayed around the most are the ones that have a lot of different fiddly mechanical things that you can do to your character. A little bit of a plus one here, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, add in this little bitty thing. And you take all these 20 or 30 things you fiddle with, and now you have your ideal character that you've been building towards your gear supports that you can do all these things that you want to do you're really building a theme of stuff but you need you know 15 to 20 knobs to turn mm -hmm. and be able to move around to get to there and that's what 3.5 really felt like at the ends of 3.5 it was here's a lot of bits and bobs and like feats and and all these things that you could do that you could just tweak a little bit to get to that final image of what you wanted for your character. Whereas fifth edition is kind of just like you said, smooth that out. It doesn't, doesn't need to be, you know, 20 knobs per character that you do turn yeah. around and create it. So it's a different style. Um, I still love it. I still love playing it. I still love running it. I think it's um, smooth as a dungeon master to run. I think for players, maybe they do want a little bit more that they could do, to personalize their character or to make their barbarian different than the other barbarians that are being played out there different. My paladins different than the other paladins and not just by RP, not just by how I describe how I do things, but really truly mechanical differences built into the game. Maybe that's the thing that they're missing off the mark a little bit at the moment is giving these players that really want to fine tune and, and tweak things, those options. Maybe it's just needs a bigger feat list. And that would solve the whole, I would really like to have these little things because that's what feats really are, right? These little bonuses that if you take one at first, if you're, you know, you're, a, you're a, a variant human or you take it at fourth instead of your attribute upgrade, that you can tweak it a little bit of a different way than any other fighter is or barbarian is or ranger is or sorcerer is because I took all of a sudden heavy, you know, heavy armor proficiency or I took alertness or I took mm -hmm. this turns me in a different way maybe that's what they really need it's just a nice big robust feat list that allows people to take them at certain points that would let everybody just really tweak their characters out yeah or or uh, uh the ability to take a feat without losing your and maybe that's just a homebrew you say is like everyone's allowed one feat without a um without losing the ability score increase or something like that so, or a magic item that gives you a feat. Like I'm a big fan of turning feats into magic items because yeah, but uh, yeah. And I think, uh, I think game master vault and chat and um, it is really on the point here. Those of us who play from the beginning, as we get in four years, five years, six years, seven years, we always want more. The issue is it becomes the bloat yeah. that new people coming into the hobby will start to complain about or it'll start to turn off people from actually entering the hobby because all of a sudden it feels like they need seven books before they can play Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition because now there's been so much added. And mm -hmm. it, all, it happens to every game because you start out with what the game is at its base. You keep adding stuff because that's what your, your hardcore players and your people that are there all the time want. But then eventually there's so much that you've added, you've alienated the group that gets to come in for the first time and try to play it. And then they start all over. We get a brand, we get sixth edition at some point and we, we go right back to where we were, I think. So I think that's the, the thing that developers play around with is how much content to put out before it's too much, you know, how much is overload, how much is, is good. Um, you know, I'm sure it's a hard thing. I wouldn't know how to make that decision. You know, if it, if it was my company, I don't know where, where I would go. I'd want to be giving people 
book after book after book. So I'd probably bloat my RPG pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, yeah. that's the catch 22. Like you're a company yeah. that sells books. You want to sell books, but at what point do you want to hurt your brand by overselling just bloat, yeah. just crap, you know? Yeah. So yeah. keeping the quality up. Yeah. So yeah. that's the interesting thing. Uh, just another couple of news things. Um, the Stranger Things starter set should be out in the next month or so. It's supposed to be releasing pretty soon. I think if you have friends that maybe have heard about Dungeons & Dragons but haven't made the plunge, this is like the Christmas gift or the birthday gift or just a, hey, I heard you kind of like you're, you've been thinking about Dungeons & Dragons. Here's a starter set. Why don't you take a look at this? And if you want to play, let me know. I'll play with you. Or you know, just get people going or give it to your nephews or your nieces or, you know, the kids that are growing up and just saying, here's your starter set to get going. I think that's going to be really cool when it's out. I think I'm going to buy it just to have it, even though we've talked about this on our previous shows. I don't need a starter set. I play Dungeons and Dragons every week. Uh, I have all the books on my shelf, but I think I'm still going to buy a starter set just for fun, um, just to have it. Um, yeah, yeah. That's it's coming cool. out. And we when, I do, when we do find out the actual date, we'll definitely let you guys know in our show. Um, the only other thing I saw on your notes, you were talking about a D and D book that was going to be aimed at middle school. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Let me, uh, yeah. let me go like talk about that for a little bit. So I don't know much about this, um, but they're, they're releasing a, two books called weapon warriors and weapons. And the other book is called monsters and creatures. And it's basically like, I don't want to know if I don't want to, I'm not sure yet if it's a simplified version of the rules or if it's just, um, the books kind of redone with new art or something that are aimed at middle schoolers, but they're basically, they're creating a couple new books that are aimed at a younger audience for D and D, um, which I thought was really cool. So that's yeah. coming out soonish. I'm not sure. Maybe this summer. Um, they're going to be like 14 bucks, I think $15 for each book. So it's just cheaper. Um, but it has, it's the idea of D and D for a younger adventurer. Um, so uh, it'll have the key aspects of D&D &D and they can build their own characters and have adventures. And they're going to make a lot more books in this genre of D&D &D for middle schoolers. But um, yeah. And so if you're uh, Nathan in chat was just like, well, I should get those for my kids. And I'm like, exactly. Like if you're mm -hmm. if, if fifth edition is a little too crunchy for your, you know, fifth grader, maybe this is the direction to go to get them into D&D. &D. Uh, mm -hmm. so definitely could be, could be really cool. It's, it's a gateway drug of, of role play. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say, get him in our cult, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so you can check out on Amazon. I think there, uh, you can pre-order them there for pretty cheap. Um, uh, I probably you won't be picking there. these up. We can up. put it in chat. Uh, let me look and see if I have a link. I have a couple links. I think it's, yep. Yeah, it's I'll put it in chat. Right. Meow. Cool. So um, those, that was pretty much our news. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to say yeah. is that the, uh, what's it is? The Salt Marsh, Ghost of Salt Marsh is going to have two covers. I don't think two. we mentioned that. So yeah. one of them, it'll have like the special edition cover that is for game stores only. And then it'll mm -hmm. have the regular cover, um, which I don't really like the the alternative cover. It's kind of like Morning Canaan's Tome of Foes. I didn't like that alternative cover either. Uh, yeah, either. see, on the opposite, I liked it. <laughs> so I was like, I was happy to get just my regular one, but, uh, yeah. to each their own. And it, yeah. it, not that it's a bad cover. It's just, if I had to choose between the two, I think, and yeah. I've been leaning towards the regular books because they, uh, They're aesthetically key. match the rest yeah. of my yeah. other books that I have bought. <laughs> so yeah, I like the standard covers, yeah. but yeah, I don't know if I want to buy it yet because normally if I'm going to buy these, I'm going to run them using Roll20. So normally it makes more sense for me to buy the full module set on Roll20 where right. everything is set up. So I keep waffling back and forth. I did it here. You know, I bought um, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. I bought Dragon Heist in book form, even though I haven't really run them. But I keep waffling back and forth to, do I really want to keep buying these twice? Or even three times if you buy the stuff on, then you buy it on D&D uh, &D Beyond so yeah. that you get all that stuff in there. So now it's a third time and then you get a PDF version of it somewhere and you buy it a fourth time. So I'm really struggling with making sure I only buy the, the copy I'm going to use. Um, but I do think the I like having the physical books in my hand. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I almost stopped at the game store to order mine just because, cause I'm a sucker for alternate covers. I'm a sucker yeah. for special edition stuff. Um, so that's pretty cool. 
So. Yeah, no, uh, I'm definitely I'm definitely going to pick up Ghost of Saltmarsh, a physical book. Um, I'm really excited. And I think like the, the direction my Hot Springs Island game is going, um, I might be able to like they'll finish Hot Springs Island. Well, probably before May, but it would be cool to have that book to be like, and now you guys are level 10. Let's run the last like couple adventures in this book to kind of finish off our seafaring exploration kind of and i'll set you know yeah. salt marsh on the hot springs island somewhere it's another island out there that they oh, explore that could be a lot of fun <laughs> that's my grandmaster plan that probably won't happen because i think we're gonna i think they're gearing up to finish hot springs island before then but we'll see we'll see well, they have a wish how can they not finish it up they have a wish they use their wish did i tell you i think yeah, i did yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep they used it but we haven't heard what happened with it i think that's coming up yet oh yeah correct yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but what games did you play this week sir i know you were traveling a lot so yeah so the actual physical week now it's funny to me because in my brain because me and jordan have been doing the show for a year now and we're already starting on our second year a week for me starts from the end of this show to when it begins again so that's how my week so it's from saturday morning to saturday morning so the regular work week monday through friday i didn't play any dungeons and dragons or anything i, I traveled to kansas and I did some work, but on Saturday before that, just after our show, Saturday night last week, um, I played one of our Seeking Revenor. It's our big homebrew West Marches game. You hear me talk about it all the time. We played a great session. Uh, the players went and fought some creatures. They got a lot of new information about why every time they go back, it's almost like this place resets and they have to fight the same thing over and over and over. They get to the same spot. Now they're out of spells, they're out of potions, they're out of everything, everybody's hurting, and they have to retreat again. And then when they come back, they've done the same thing like three times now, and it's dawned on them finally after the third time. I've been waiting for this to dawn on them that why is it we always fight the same number of things and we always have to do the same thing and we always get to the same spot, but we can never get any further. And they finally have figured out why that is. There's some things that are happening okay. that make that happen. So now they're starting to plan about how do we stop it from happening so we can actually make some leadway here or make some some um, down into this dungeon, get actually down in there without using up all our stuff. So that's cool. It's been fun. Um, they met a nice big orc war band on the way home. There's this big tension that's set up because they're not sure if the orc war band is there to, to sack the city that they all are from or not. And there's so they've all been speculating in um, our Discord channel where they do a lot of RP stuff. And so they're all worried about, wait a minute, there's this big orc war band that's about to descend and they don't know about it yet. So we're about to find out what that's going to happen. And we should have some games this week where we're going to go ahead and run them. I'm still struggling with, I know I've said this before, about bringing another dungeon master in to play in the campaign. But the more I sit there and think about it and the more I think about the logistics of trying to get somebody up to speed, mm -hmm. coordinating with each other on how this is going to work keeping a certain level of play quality that I would like, but yet not stamp down on somebody who's a dungeon master and not let them use their creativity and, and do the things they want to do. It's just a lot to, to consider without just diving in and saying, okay, you know, Jordan, you can, you can DM for me on Tuesdays and I'll do Thursdays and we'll just make it work. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that goes into thinking about it. And especially if you're going to stream them, so it's got to be someone that's going to be able to stream, that you can trust can stream games, knows how to do the whole thing, wants to do the whole thing. You know, yeah. So it's just been a little bit bigger than I wanted to chew so much so far. It may still happen. It may not. I'm still figuring it out, but we'll see. If it does, I'll bring it here and I'll tell you the guys the the the, the bonuses and the the um, the negatives, I guess, of if you try something like this, just like I've been trying to do with the West Marches. What are the good things and what are the bad things about it when you're doing a hex crawl West Marches style? Mm -hmm. um, then on Sunday, we played our RPG crash course show, which is we pick an RPG for the month and we play a game. I picked um, John Harper's World of Dungeons Breakers. With the, the main name of it is Breakers. And we had a really fun adventure based on kind of the a very short version of the Apocalypse Engine games where um, two worlds kind of overlap for a little while and until you break a, a shard or a key in that area, and then they kind of drift apart. So things get taken over. So in this case, a mall 
that was in Detroit got taken over and it got overlapped by another world that had goblins and orcs and all this other kind of stuff. And they overlapped. And so the groups have to go in and try to get the shard, destroy it so that the worlds pull apart again before anything escapes mm-hmm. from that area. Cause now it's um, there's almost like a portal there and it's more corporate because all these companies create these, what they call like these dive teams that go in, dive in, get the, the thing and they're paid a bounty for it so they're competing against other corporate entities so they made their own corporate um i I let the players kind of come up with the name of it and they were a it was really funny because it was like one of this the company had bought up all of the old toys r us stores and turned their company training facilities and old toys r us stores so we had a lot of fun with this weird funny kind of corporate look almost like playing ghostbusters if you wanted to play it as an RPG or, um, you know, uh, Army of Darkness was another kind of um, um, creative idea of how to play the game. And it was just fun. They ran in, they, they got their butts kicked, they got, they got taken out, and it was another corporate group got the shard so they didn't get the bounty. But it was really fun to play. Um, it was a different thing. And we're going to have a new one tomorrow, which because this month has so many Sundays in it, which is nice, so there's going to be – one, two, three, four, five Sundays in March. Um, so we're going to pick a, uh, an RPG that requires more time. So I'm going to pick something bigger. I might do like a new Monera. I might do the Strange. I might do. Oh, I just I just bought the Humble Bundle for Pathfinder. Oh yeah, and that's I know really I have good every bundle. single possible PDF for Pathfinder I could ever possibly want. I might dive into that to try that out to play that play a little bit of that. Um, or any one of these other number of books that I bought. Overlight. <laughs> Cough. Overlight. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Overlight would be a good one. Yeah, yeah. We could do a Kids on Bikes. We could do something. Tales from the Loop. Um, something like that. So I'm going to pick it by tomorrow, and we're going to figure it out. We're going to make characters. We could do Warhammer. Was the other one I've been dying right up there. My favorite game of all time. I've got the newest edition that's out. So those were the things that I did. So I mostly traveled during the week, but on the weekend I got to play – and this weekend, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to get a bunch of playing in, um, and I'll be ready to go. But I think it was so excited about all the news. I wasn't worried about playing games. I was just thinking about the new articles out. I was mm-hmm. thinking about Salt Marsh a lot this week. So it was just really helping me re- refresh for that. So what did Jordan do in RPGs this week? <laughs> um, what did Jordan do in RPGs? Well, been playing my uh, Warforged game with uh, some of my friends from my Hot Springs Island game, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, and just kind of leveling up, exploring the Underdark, doing missions. We ended up fighting uh, a really interesting, and I don't know if I talked about this last week or not. I don't think I did. But we fought this interesting cube monster that um, the DM would roll a D6 and it would change sides. And depending on the side that it was on, that was the attack that it had that round. And I really liked this idea of, well, A, a monster I didn't recognize, but B, like I liked the randomness of it. It was kind of like a beholder where you roll randomly for the ice docks and stuff like that. So that was a lot of fun. And then uh, in my Hot Springs Island game, my my hot springs island players got uh they used their wish to get the layout of svarku's lair um who's the the afrit that kind of like runs barter town runs hot springs island and he uh they decided to explore down into the area so they found like a what they are calling a back entrance they're like or the safest entrance they could find is through this um these the slave quarters um the abandoned slave quarters and they're going to go through that now the I've mentioned this before, but I roll randomly on Hot Springs Island. So whenever they come into an area, I roll a whole bunch of dice. The dice tell me how many monsters are there and where. Earlier, they had captured a salamander, and they decided to use this salamander. His name was Blix, I think. And Blix, uh, they decided to use him to kind of scope out the the area and see what's down there. So if there were salamanders down there, he could be like, I vouch for these guys. They're really awesome. But they weren't especially nice to Blix. Um, and so when they let him go, he agreed to uh, come back and, and, you know, relay whatever information he could find. He went down into the slave quarters, down into underground, and never came back. He just disappeared. So, wait, so the salamanders are like bipedal humanoid yep. 
yeah they've got armor and weapons and things like that yeah oh gotcha gotcha gotcha. yeah so they captured it and they interrogated one but it cracked me up because they were very like okay we can trust this guy and in my mind i'm just like he wants to get the hell away from you as quickly as possible like all right he'll go along with this and so (laughs) they they let him go and he just took off i mean he like went to the slave quarters he's like all right i'll be back and then he just took off running and i remember they all looked at the ranger and they're like did you cast hunter's mark on him so we could track him and the ranger was like no and then i'm like and i was like another 30 minutes goes by and nothing happens and they're just like oh man what did we do (laughs) so the ocean's 11 plan begins to fall apart (laughs) (laughs) so they dive in to try and like a find him but b kind of see what's going on and so they come down there they find a bunch of fire imps that they clean up pretty easy they explore a couple of other areas and then they find a door and they're like oh this door must lead to um the area that goes to Sparku's palace um, because why else would it have a door? Like the, the palace entrance must have a door is what they kept thinking. Well, don't they have a map? Didn't they get a map? Not of this section yet. They have a map of of Sparku's lair, but they're, they're in this, um, this slave quarters area, this underground mine area that leads to Sparku's lair. So they're like expecting that they'll find a door or something. They open the door and they find five drunk salamanders that are hanging out and they see them and they instantly know who they are because these guys have been messing up the salamanders for a while. So the salamanders like know who they are. And we have one of the toughest fights that I've thrown at my players yet, I think. And I say that, but earlier they had a really tough fight that, that actually resulted in a player death. But this one was they're level seven now. Um, and they have a little more, um, healing than they did before, Mm -hmm. but, and then I said that the salamanders were drunk. So as they were fighting the salamanders, one of my players were like, well, they're kind of drunk. Do we get advantage on them or anything? And I'm like, I'll roll to see how drunk they are before mm-hmm. every round. And so I'm like, I'll just roll a D20. If it's an 11 and a 12, if it's 11 to 20, they're sober enough to fight you. If it's you know one to 10, they're drunk enough that they don't really know what's going on. But I did that. And I would say a good 80% of the time, those salamanders were ready to fight. And so not to bore everyone with like a exorbitant amount of details, but a lot of players went down um, and I made the decision as a dungeon master to roll in the open because I want my players to know that I, especially with hot springs Island, that I'm not trying to fudge rolls because I am rolling so randomly for encounters and I am rolling randomly for locations that I want my players to understand that I'm like, it is the dice that is doing this to you, not necessarily the dungeon master. I'm not killing you, the dice are killing you. (laughs) And not even like I'm killing you, but the fact that like Jordan's not protecting you, Jordan is playing Hot Springs Island rules, which makes this more dangerous. And it's something that I want to incorporate in my homebrew game because I'll be honest, I want my players to have a fun time and by doing, by thinking that I want them to live. And so I have fudged a lot of roles in my home game in the past, Mm -hmm. but with hot Springs Island, I made the decision that I wanted to play a different style and Mm -hmm. it's resulted in a character death early on, but the players I think are having a lot of fun and they're taking situations seriously and in this one, the, like the ranger was at a point where he's like, I'm going to just cast uh, Zephyr. Is it Zephyr strike or something? Uh, the spell that lets him move really fast. He's like, I'm going to cast it on myself and just run away. Expeditious retreat. Yeah, That's basically like, I'm going to just get out of here. And uh, they're like, no, no, we can do this. We can do this. But it was a lot of like the, the barbarian went down and then they would like raise him up. But unfortunately his turn was right after the salamanders. So they so would raise right him up and then the salamanders would just smack him down again. The that. salamanders yeah. breathe fire, which recharges on a five or a six. I rolled that out in the open. I'm like, we got one salamander left. You guys are lined up so he can hit all three of you. Let's roll a D six and see what happens. It was a six. So he, <laughs> everybody make deck saves again. You guys are getting hit by this fire, which instantly put like two of them down again. Um, It got down to the very end when they raised the sorcerer, I think, or maybe it was the barbarian, with his last spell slot so that they could do one attack. Um, You know, it was the sorcerer. They raised the sorcerer to do one attack. She cast chromatic orb at 
third level using her Tides of Chaos so that she gets advantage on it. And she rolled a one and a two oh, and missed, no. missed the spell. And it was this like clutch moment where we're like, you guys were not meant to win this. Uh, <laughs> the uh, cleric came in, hit it with a mace, did some, uh, did some um, turn undead stuff that they have special to their class to do some extra damage. Cause the salamander was at like five health and the salamander dropped, spared the dying on the other two drag their carcasses into the room, close the door. They're like, even though it's about 10 in the morning, we're taking a long rest. And I'm like, completely understandable. You guys are like mm-hmm. half dead. And that's where we ended. And so it's interesting because they didn't even make it to Sparku's lair yet. They're they're just outside the entrance to it. Um, but if that is any indication of what's waiting for them, I'm really curious about how they're going to go forward. Are they going to pass without a trace and try to sneak everywhere and have no more engagements? Because mm-hmm. there's going to be more salamanders in the palace, probably like they don't know what's yeah. in there yet, but one can say the tougher monsters are going to be closer to the boss. <laughs> so we'll see. It was uh, it was an almost TPK. Like it came really close and it was uh, really interesting to roll out in the open and just be like, here's what it is guys. Yeah. You know, I do this. Fl- the flame breath is 76. And so I was constantly like, Ooh. all right, you take another 34 damage. They're like, are you serious? I'm like, yep, <laughs> you're almost dead. But that was my game, my weekend gaming. Um, I'm actually playing directly after this show. I'm going to drive to uh, my friend's house and we're going to play in the, the Warforged campaign that uh, or the game that where I'm playing my Warforged character. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then, uh Yeah. So I'm also playing a little bit of Dungeon Crawl Classics with a patron. Um, he is instigated a Dungeon Crawl Classics game and invited me to play. And that's been really fun because we're playing multiple level one characters. So I have a thief, a wizard, and an elf. And I get a kind of like, it's, it's interesting because you know how you try to coordinate with your party members? You're like, if you do this, mm-hmm. I'll do this. Because I have three characters, I can kind of do that. I can be like, well, I'll right. position my thief here. My elf will cast this on my thief. My thief will be able to do something cool. And that's been a lot of fun. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's my weekend gaming, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. It's a lot of gaming. Sounds good. I like the idea that um, in the last few weeks, I've also had a few TPK moments where it comes down to like one more dice roll goes against them. And it's like a bunch of dice rolls went against them to even get them to this point. Yeah. But if just one more happens, if this one last roll happens, it's done. It's over. But then they pull it out on that last die roll and they finally make their way or they get away or, you know, they do this thing. So it's like this crazy and they're like tense. Like they get done with it and they're like huge size at the end of the game. They're like, they're drained. They talk about it for the whole week leading up to the next and what are we going to do? I think we had five natural ones the entire game, which was a lot for that encounter. Like I was really surprised on their side, on my side, I was rolling really well. Yeah. Um, a, A hot, dm dice night can really hammer a party that's Mm -hmm. that's what happened in the one that where my group almost died it just i just kept rolling really well for them and they were missing left and right they were missing even when they had advantage like you said they were still rolling like fives and tens and nines and sevens they just couldn't hit they had all the power in the world if they could just get their dice to hit and they Mm -hmm. were missing and then mine was like here's a 22 here's a 25 because all my my twink players have humongously high ACs. So the one thing that they're all realizing now that the problem with having a really high AC is that when you get hit, you usually get hit super hard because the only thing that gets through their AC is something that hits really, really hard. So they've got this really weird thing where I can't be hit, I can't be hit. Oh my God, almost all my hit points. Yeah, are gone. that one hit took out half my hit points. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, it's a crit that, that actually finally gets through their huge AC. So... But I'm like, hey, you're playing those characters. We'll see how it works. Yeah. <laughs> it was your idea. No, so. it's it's also interesting. The Barbarian has an axe in my game, a great axe that does double damage to fire creatures. And in their mind, they're just like, this is going to be our salvation. But yeah. every time you hit a salamander, it does 2d6 fire damage back to you. Back. Um, and so it got to the point where he was at one hit point. He's like, I can't attack or I'll die. So he was throwing javelins, which did significantly less damage than his, his great axe that does double damage. And I, they were realizing like, this is a, you know, it's a double edged double edged sword, this magic yeah. item. Like it does a lot of damage against them, but it slowly whittles him away. 
on yeah. hit points. So it's funny you say that because that's the thing that finally got to my players because my players typically play a lot of melee heavy characters. It was when they fought like a Ramoraz, the thing that does damage back to you if yeah. you're within five feet of melee range every time you hit it. That it was like, oh my god, we're killing ourselves fighting this thing, but it's because we made barbarians and fighters mm-hmm. and paladins. And it was like we're surrounding the creature, but we're just killing ourselves fighting it. So it's funny that you say that. So there you go, GMs out there. If you have a very melee heavy group that's giving you trouble, just throw some of those creatures at you at them. Yeah. They'll back off a little bit. That's true. <laughs> no, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Uh, I think when I finish Hot Springs Island, I'm going to do a huge long video on like my experience with running it and, and recommending it and things like that. Cause it's been a really fun adventure so far, but yeah. Cool. And I think that's our show, everybody. Thank you for coming out and watching us live here on the Saturday morning D and D show. We are live 9am Pacific time every Saturday. Um, I'm seeing a couple of people on the YouTube chat that are just like, oh, I made it. And I'm like, just as we're closing up, but but feel free to watch the VOD. Uh, Anything else before we bounce out of here? Uh, Keep going in a few seconds. Oh, just a few seconds. Okay. Cause you've got a a air horn happening behind you. That makes exact sense. Um, Please, if you guys are so inclined, give us a review on iTunes. Um, We're trying to get a couple more reviews going with that. It just helps with, people discovering the podcast um and like us uh like the video uh share it with your friends all this other stuff enjoy ghosts of salt marsh leave a comment below if you are going to buy ghosts of salt marsh and what you are most excited for um lucian is still nodding as he's got yeah, this going <laughs> you probably hear it a little bit it's a little bit quieter at the moment i'll try to speak over it but i just want to say for the youtube people thanks for showing up if you're watching this on youtube not on the day that we're live we still appreciate you coming out and watching put those comments in because we definitely like to interact with you guys and i can't wait <laughs> and with that i think we will bounce out of here we will see you guys next saturday with another episode uh take care everybody thank you so much goodbye Bye-bye. oh i gotta do the outro our intro and outro music is 8-bit march by twin musicom licensed under creative commons check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org